There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world, and we either can't afford or don't have time to go to any of them. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat. So on Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of these festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against each other. On this episode, we're traveling to the 2018 edition of the Weinacht Film Festival in Berlin, Germany, where we'll be checking out Lim Dai Hung's Merry Christmas, Mr. Mo, and Warren P. Sonata's A Christmas Fury. <laughs> Welcome to Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the globe. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is my friend, the Fausty Slovene, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. You know, it's 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 the holiday season. We're celebrating uh, Noel. I don't know. I'm, I, I, here's the thing, Doug. I should know a lot about Christmas, right? Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's up my alley. That's mm-hmm. a thing I should yeah. care about. Right, because it's all... It's, I mean, not to give anything away, we've never really mentioned it on the show, but you have like a religious background, and people we've care never about mentioned religion. it. We've never <laughs> mentioned it ever on the show. We've never brought it up before, but you have a religious background, <laughs> and you know a lot kind about of. religion, and kind so, of. Uh, and and this this holiday season generally. Even uh, outside of just the Christmas season, there's a lot of religious connotations mixed up in a lot of these holidays. Well, so that's the thing, right? And I have a few different attitudes about it. Like, part of me wants to just, like, ignore all that because everyone really just means the cultural experience, right? Like, yeah. No one really cares about the religious holiday itself. But there's a part of me that likes the more traditional aspects of it. You know, like, right now would be Advent, Right. And in Advent, you are preparing yourself for Christmas, which is actually pretty depressing because you're focusing on all the reasons that something as drastic as the Christmas Eve uh, thing would, would be necessary. So so that's kind of fitting. I like that. I like that that whole preparing my heart by thinking about all the suffering and evil in the world. That's oh. pretty cool. Right. Mm. But but. The problem is that the whole idea that the traditional celebration of Christmas is even that important is kind of bullshit because in reality, Christmas is only a significant holiday culturally, not because of its theological import, but because of uh, its economic impact on capitalism. Uh, And, you know, it's really like a a half-assed pagan thing that the church didn't really care that much about that got ramped up so people would buy more shit. So it's like I feel really torn about it because I kind of like it in the sense of I like, you know, the the, the the trappings of North American Christmas traditions sure. appeal to me in their corny cheesiness as well as their sentimentality. But on another level, the whole thing seems like fake and not real and not something I should be that concerned with. But but the the impulse I have to say, well, this isn't a, a longstanding tradition of the church, comes from I feel oftentimes a more conservative place and not a more open-minded place, but it's also a way to attack it because it's about capitalism. You see what I'm saying? There's different forces at war in me when it comes to Christmas, especially because all of Christmas is just me pretending that winter hasn't started yet because once we hit January, Doug, it's just sadness all the way down until like May. Yeah, what you're saying is in December, the two worst forces in the world battle it out, capitalism 
and religion. Yeah, and we're basically. all the losers. <laughs> yeah, basically. Or the winners. That's the problem because I kind of <laughs> like Christmas. That's, that's the issue. That's the other issue, Doug. You're just being distracted by all the flashy lights, Liam. Yeah, that's what I, I do. I, I like I like treats. I like presents. I like uh, the Low Christmas album. That's a good record. Uh, I don't know. That's about all I got. Liam, when I was in elementary school, sure. I once wrote a. Uh, I had to make like a, a Christmas card, and I wrote "Merry Xmas" on it. And my teacher said, "Douglas, you are taking the Christ out of Christmas." She was very <laughs> upset about it. Any thoughts? <laughs> uh, when I was in high school, I had an Earth Crisis shirt that on the back said. Uh, to the X, I'm crucified, which is, by the way, not a reference to Christianity, but to straight edge, to being straight edge. <laughs> and 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 multiple teachers were like, uh, that's just not theologically value, valid. And I'm like, why are you talking to me about religion in high school right now? Which is funny. <laughs> the, 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 the funny thing about it, Doug, was that I was such a rapscallion in high school that mm-hmm. most of these teachers had no idea that I was like way more stoked on Jesus than I am now. In fact, I spoke at my baccalaureate, which is like the religious ceremony that goes with graduation. They do something okay. at a church. Uh-huh. I was one of the speakers, and all the teachers were fucking like upset about it. Like, why, why is this troublemaker speaking in the church? And the church people were like, what do you mean? He's one of the leaders in the youth group. He's part of the church. Like, what are you talking about? They had no idea that I was generally thought to be a bad kid in my whole school. I mean, that would be a funny idea for a movie, right? It's like the rebellious punk at school is actually a churchy weirdo. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I mean, you know, I was still kind of a bad kid in some ways because I didn't care about school at all. And Uh like my version of Christianity, I was reading like I think my senior in high school is when I first wrote, wrote, read uh, Christ and Anarchism by Jacques Ellul. So I was also in youth group while they were telling us, like, try not to touch each other's genitals. I was like, shouldn't we also be questioning all authority in the name of God? And they were like, what? No, that sounds bad. (laughs) Uh, Liam, this is our holiday special, our final Cinema Smorgasbord episode of 2021. Pretty, It's been a difficult year in a lot of ways, Liam. I don't know if you've noticed. The world seems to be in a, a certain level of upheaval. And when I think back in previous years, that was also the case. So it's it's a continuing state yeah. of upheaval. <laughs> state of past. emergency. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but do you, you know, as we reach the end of the, the year... What are your thoughts of the year that has just passed, whether it be uh, regarding your personal life or the podcast or just uh, maybe just off the dome? What are you thinking right now about how the, the state of the world is in 2021? Well, I mean, man, that's a lot of different questions in one. A lot of questions, Liam, but you got to keep it really with... compact. We don't want to bore anybody here. Oh, well, fuck that. Not uh, like all that religious talk that you were just Oh, God, <laughs> fuck you. Uh, I mean, I think... 2021 is a disaster, and mm-hmm. it makes me not too hopeful for 2022. Um, I think for me personally, the year flew past. There were a lot of things I really thought I could accomplish this year that remain uneven touched, let alone accomplished. Yes. Um, I feel like one of the few things that went pretty well was our podcast. You know, I mean, we still don't have the attention we deserve because the what you know 30 or 40 or so devoted fans that we have refuse to uh go out and uh cause acts of terror in our name though we beg them to every episode it is um, always shocking to me how unpopular we are considering yeah. that people seem to generally like us 
And <laughs> people get very excited when we say we're going to be doing certain things, and then nobody listens to it afterwards. Hey, you know what? People are busy. People have other things to be listening to. Professionally produced podcast, but it is surprising still. Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. Tell a friend I, about cinema smoke. <laughs> I know. I, t- I tell my friends so much; they're just so tired of hearing about it. Yeah, um, right. No, no, no. But you know, th- but there are also positive things, especially. I mean, I think I'm in a bit huh? of a negative r- mood because as the year's wrapping up, I'm just got so much like health stress right now sure Uh, like i turned 42 and apparently 42 years was like the warranty on my body because so many things are starting to give up but uh but otherwise i don't know there were some positive things this year like you know things have been really great with my daughter and i feel like um rough cut you know my t-shirt company's doing pretty good um, and there are definitely, well, again, I think all the shows on Cinepunks deserve more attention than they get. We still have a bunch of people who are a part of it, and things are going pretty well. And uh, I think adding uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve was pretty great, and I've really yeah, liked absolutely. where that show's going. So there's definitely some positives. I don't want to just be a bummer, but it is hard, like, you know, uh, it's hard having gone through this whole basically full pandemic year after another full pandemic year I know. and just be like yeah it's cool we'll be fine it's like are we gonna be okay like what sometimes i'm out like I, I i had a haircut yesterday and i was wearing my mask of course and i wear my mask a lot because i work at a school and, I, and there's just a part of me Marty, there's a part of me that thinks in the midst of the pandemic when it first started i was like well someday we're just going to be able to take these off and not have to put them on again and now it seems like maybe we'll never get to t- like, I mean, certainly I actually like the idea that that we, we will now take the attitude. A lot of people will that if you're sick, right, if you have a cold, then you'll wear a mask out in public because you don't want other people to catch it. Seems pretty smart. Seems pretty reasonable. But like, I don't know when I'm, go- I'm going to be able to go to my job and not wear a mask for like eight hours a day. And that's I mean, I'm happy to wear it if I know that it's helping other people. But it is kind of a distressing thought just to think that, oh, this could be like the next five years of doing this. Yeah. Oh gosh. Boy, I didn't mean to bum you out with that. I just—it's just something I've been thinking about because it's part of my life and has been. You know, I mean, for all of us. Uh, though I, you know, I read yesterday on Twitter someone saying it's like I live in a world of two halves where half of the people just act all the time like the pandemic is entirely over and they don't wear masks and you know they just feel they just act like this is something in the past and the other half that are you know treating it like doomsday and then they're 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 basically locking themselves away. And you got to find a way to live in between those two halves. It's kind of a tricky proposition, I would say, Liam. I agree. I think um, I, I, I think I'm finally at a point where I'm so tired of it. I at least emotionally understand the people who are giving up. Sure, you know, especially the people who've been responsible till now. Like people who like got the booster and have been doing all the stuff, and now are starting yeah, to be yeah, like, yeah. I just I gotta go to a show, man, or I gotta go to the movies. Like I just can't deny myself anymore. I kind of get that. Like I kind of get where they're coming from because I feel that same amount of frustration. But I also like know that there are people who never who've just lived their lives like nothing ever changed, and I don't know how to feel about them because I don't like feeling resentful but i don't know how else to process that well you know what i think about this past year liam what's that it's a long december and there's reason to believe oh my god maybe this year will be better than the last oh jesus i can't remember the last thing that you said as you were leaving now the days go by so fast just like you were saying right fast days (laughs) 
And it's one more day up in the canyons and one more night in Hollywood. If you think that I could be forgiven, I wish you would. Pretty wise words from that guy with the fake dreadlocks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> he had sex with two of the friends, Liam. Two of them. <laughs> Liam, we're traveling back to a festival that we've been to previously. In fact, it just kind of worked out that way. It's been a little while since we recorded an episode of Cinema Fantastica. But last year, 2020, we did a, a holiday special uh, surrounding this very same festival. It's a Christmas movie festival that takes place in Germany. And it just, you know, because of the timing worked out and we needed to record one more episode before the end of the year, and because we're feeling, obviously, the holiday spirit, it just made sense to return to it again. Um, and last year, we covered a Christmas horror story and good tidings. I think we had mixed feelings about that. We have picked two much stranger films this year. It was just by kind of accident. There aren't actually a lot to choose from. This, uh, this festival only runs for a few days, and it has a lot of short films, but we wanted to cover some features. But before we get into it, and before we get into the movies that we chose, Liam, let's talk a little bit about the festival, which I'm not going to use its German name anymore. I'll just call it the Christmas Film Festival uh, Berlin. According to its, uh, its description, it presents the Christmas theme in all its wonderful and curious varieties. National and international feature films and short film programs bring a new light to the old-fashioned Christmas subject. Unconventional Christmas movies come to the foreground. Next to comedies, also critical, tragic, satirical, and scary movies are part of the program. Knowing that Christmas time polarizes many people, it is still worth it to embrace the heartily spirit of Christmas. These mistakes, by the way, are in the translation, not in me. In the dark season of the year, the cinema turns into a magical place that makes you think, touches you, and sometimes casts a smile on your face. Makes me feel pretty good about the season, reading these uh, hastily translated German description yeah, sure. of this festival. Yeah. <laughs> Liam, this festival that we're talking about today, uh, the 2018 uh, iteration, it ran from December 21st to December 24th, 2018. Uh, and some of the films that we did not cover on this episode or will not cover on this episode include the 2017 Italian comedy drama, Oh My God, which is about Jesus coming back to Earth. I guess it's a comedy in Italy. Uh, would he be recognized? It's an adventurous story between faith, miracles, and question marks. What do you think? Look corny. Looks corny. There's also the American film The Night Sitter from 2018, the horror film. The 2018 Argentinian documentary Santa Lives in My Town. The 2018 Finnish stop-motion feature Moomins and the Winter Wonderland. And the U.S. Uh, 2018 documentary North Pole, New York, which is a documentary about Santa's workshop, one of the very first theme parks in the U.S., battling against a changing economy, the digital world, and a con man who tries to steal Christmas, the dreamers in one small town vow to keep the park open and the magic of Christmas alive all year. Liam, I have a question for you. Yeah. Now, you are uh, a man of faith, and you have sure. a young child. Yeah. And uh, you seem to have mixed feelings about the holiday season, but certainly it must be something that you have celebrated when you were younger. Did you have any... Christmas television traditions growing up? Were there any television specials that you made sure that you would catch either when you were a kid or maybe now that you have a child of your own? Um, well, now that I have a child, um, we've gone out of our way to try to watch some things with her. Like she's, right. uh, we've watched the, whatever the Peanuts Christmas thing is. I forget what it's called. <laughs> Charlie Brown's Christmas? Yeah, is something that like called? that. I think so. But yeah, the most famous Christmas holiday special yeah. of all time. 
And today she has a, they're doing Grinch Day at her school. So uh, we watched <laughs> The Grinch with her in preparation of that. Because I think they might be doing a more modern version of The Grinch, one of the, maybe the 2018 or something. Um, so we watched the old one with her. Uh, and, and we definitely have Christmas episodes of shows that she loves. Like right. people will remember not that long ago, I talked about how obsessed she was with We Bear Bears, which she would probably still be into that show, but there hasn't been new episodes for a long time. So, so we haven't gone back to it. But she loves, there's a few Christmas episodes of that show that we watched mm-hmm. that she will rewatch with her. Um, but... All that said, when I was a kid, it was just catching stuff on TV. So I really liked all those stop motion nightmare fuel ones. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was when I was a kid, I liked all those, but I don't. It wasn't because I didn't have them on tape. Like I just had to catch them on TV. Sure, it was all luck, right? So like in theory, I tried to watch them every Christmas, but I didn't catch them all the time. There were plenty of Christmases I didn't see them, or I'd see different ones. I'd see Frosty Snowman, but I didn't see uh, uh, Rudolph, you know, or I'd see uh, or I'd see catch the uh, Charlie Brown stuff and miss uh, the the Frosty Snowman. You know what I mean? Like I I liked all that stuff. I think there was also a. Uh, a Big Bird Christmas special from Sesame Street that I remember uh, really liking. Um, There's quite a few Muppet-based ones. The ones my family, the one my family likes the most is a, I think it's called a Muppet Holiday Christmas, where it it starts with Muppets, like the Muppet Show Muppets, all coming to, I think it's Fozzie Bear's mother's house, and they're all staying there. But then it also incorporates not only Sesame Street characters, but also uh, Fraggle Rock characters. It's basically the, you know, the Avengers Endgame of Muppets. Oh, Jesus. No, there, there's actually a few uh, like that, actually. I think they. Ha- you're right that they have a few of them. Uh, I do remember that one. Uh, I know uh, we've watched a few times the Muppet Christmas Carol because my sure. wife loves it. But, I, you know, I didn't really grow up with that one. So Me either. Not, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's not really in my – I think it came out later enough that I, I, I saw it, but I didn't, like, make it a tradition, you know. So, uh, so no, I don't – you know, I don't really have – I was just saying this on uh, recent Cinepunks that will be out soon with Josh is that I don't really have, like, traditional Christmas movies I love. Like, as much as I – respect that it's something that other people care about i'm not like one of the things i'm not invested in is when people argue whether a movie is a christmas movie or not yeah i don't care i don't care that. but i also don't have ones that i rewatch. like i've seen a christmas story a few times and i don't care about it just how about national lampoon's christmas vacation that's one of the few that i enjoy but i haven't made a tradition of watching it it's i like big it. around this area people love that movie here they it's, really, really it's do. funny and fun but i don't have a connection to it specifically like where i'm like gotta put that on like i don't think there's any christmas movie that i am i mean i will say after just watching it i might make a tradition after uh, out of watching dow code santa claus uh uh over and over again from now on because that movie's great well maybe Uh, you'll make a tradition of watching one of the two films that we're about to cover on this episode of cinema fantastica maybe (laughs) liam why did we choose the movies that we choose why did we choose, Liam, why did we choose the movies we chose for this episode of Cinema Fantastica? What did you choose? Tell us that first. So the movie I chose is called Merry Christmas, Mr. Mo. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I chose it immediately because it <laughs> was the first movie we've looked at when looking at these festivals 
that looked like a serious movie. Yes, absolutely. The only one so far that that I I know of that they've played that is a serious movie. Now, granted, some of the other ones that played this year maybe were also, but it's just every time we look at this list, they all look very fun or silly or even you know entertaining in, in a great way. But this was the first one I'd ever clicked on where I'm like, oh. This looks like it might be very serious, which could also mean it could be very bad. Sure, absolutely. It might fail at being serious, but I just felt like that would be a change of pace for this Christmas conversation. Right, especially because I think we wanted to avoid what happened last time. It's not that we didn't enjoy watching those two films on on our uh, last year's holiday special, but they were both horror movies, right? They're both Christmas-themed horror movies. This time we picked movies that kind of mix genres up a little bit. And in fact, as we as I went through that list there, it seemed like the 2018 iteration of this didn't lean as heavily on Christmas horror. Uh, Liam, I picked a film <laughs> called A Christmas Fury um, from 2018. And sure. I picked it for a very good reason, which is that this is the first time on this entire Cinema Smorgasbord podcast where we're covering a project filmed in... And written by and starring people from my home province of Newfoundland. Now, I am, as of the time we're recording this, I'm about to go to Newfoundland to spend some time during the holidays with my family there. But a lot of people, I imagine a lot of our listeners, including maybe even my co-host, don't really know a lot about where I come from. And because I have a lot of pride in Newfoundland, but also I, there's a lot that's very unique about it, I thought it would be fun to watch a project that was filmed there. Was it fun, Liam? I don't want you to answer. <laughs> not yet. We'll find out in a little bit about whether you had fun or not. And also the kind of weird uh, elements surrounding it. I, it's hard to believe that this played at a German Christmas-themed film festival on, on Christmas Eve uh, in 2018. But Liam, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. First, we need to take a break. When we return, we're going to talk about your pick. Merry Christmas, Mr. Moe, right after this. Mo Gumsan is a barber living in the rural area who once aspired to be an actor. He starts to have doubts about his humdrum life after the village health center advises him to be examined at a larger hospital. He comes up with a plan to give a gift to his beloved ones in the coming Christmas. The plan is to invite everyone to the local cultural center and to screen his self-made comedy movie based on his own tragic life. It's 2016's Merry Christmas, Mr. Mo, written and directed by Lim Dae-hyung. Uh, it was his first feature film. He followed this up with 2019's Moonlit Winter. Uh, and this film actually received a number of awards in uh, Korea. Uh, 21st Busan International Film Festival, uh, 5th Wildflower Film Awards, 27th uh, Bull Film Awards, and the 55th Grand Bell Awards, uh, where it won... Best Actor, Best Director in a Narrative Film, Best Screenplay. Uh, Again, Best Actor, Best New Director, Best New Director. Um, The cast includes uh, 
Gi Jubong as Mo Gumsan, uh, Oh Jung Hwan as Steven, uh, Go Wan Hee as Yi Wan, and Jean Yao Bin as Jia Yong. Um, and there's other people, but those are sort of like the main the main folks in the movie. Uh, this is filmed in black and white and is certainly uh, uh, genre wise a step away from last year when we were watching two <laughs> just you know whatever horror movies. Here we are with this black and white kind of funny, kind of tragic, uh, emotional drama. Doug, I-, I asked you to kind of switch gears here from our usual vibe for the Christmas uh, episode, but I'm curious what you thought of Merry Christmas, Mr. Mo. I loved it, actually. And I have to say, this was a very nice surprise that you chose this. Uh, and it, it fits exactly that description that you said. What I should say is it fits what you just said. It doesn't fit that plot description that you no, said. No, actually, that doesn't work really, at all. As you were reading it, and I'm the one who put it on the on the, the, the document that you're reading from, all I could think of how is how wrong it was. <laughs> even the idea that his tragic life being told, that's not what it's about. It's And it also doesn't even get to the heart of what this movie really is about, which is a man who is either dying or thinks he is and wants to in some way make some of state some sort of statement to the world with a film and his son who he is estranged from is a filmmaker so he reconnects with his son and his son's girlfriend I'll say <laughs> and and they kind of work together to put together this project and it is very sad and it is very sweet and it's very funny at places as well i was trying to get a handle on how i would describe the tone of this movie it has kind of a jim jarmusch thing going on but it also Agreed. has kind of a Wes Anderson whimsy at times as well, especially when characters just kind of stare at each other. And that's another thing. This is a very slow movie. And it's something that you should prepare yourself for when you go to see it. And slow to me is not a criticism. It's very intentionally slow. And I think it really works because of that, particularly because it's building, it's it's set into these chapters. So, you you know, it does feel like it's in these kind of... Um, that, that it kind of changes gears as these chapters move along. But it's all leading up to the showing of this film at the end. And I have to say, it lives up to it entirely. It, it is a really great sequence. And I was really surprised by it. It's so strange to see a movie where you see people film pieces of something. And you're trying to wonder, it's like, like is this like a joke? Like, are, are, it's not going to fit together. And then at the end, you see the pieces of the things that they were filming. And you're like... Oh my God, it works. How It's almost impossible. It feels like a miracle that it works. It is a Christmas movie that doesn't necessarily feel like a Christmas movie. It ends on Christmas, but it isn't kind of a movie that has all the tropes and, uh, and cliches that we've been talking about. And I think that's one of the things I like most about it. This isn't a movie that can only be watched on Christmas. It's one that could be appreciated any time of the year. Uh, it's also, again, like we said, very sad. It, it has certainly moments of hopefulness, and it ends on a hopeful note. But it also feels, you know, it leaves you feeling a little bit drained by the whole thing, a little bit emotional. I, I certainly felt emotional watching it at times. And maybe it's maybe it's because both of us are getting a little older, Liam, and some of the things at the core of this are things that dominate our thoughts, I think, on a more regular basis than they did 20 years ago. But it's a movie that I really, really loved. I was so glad that we had a chance to, 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 to see it now that we have a chance to talk about it. I agree. I, uh, I thought it was really great. It's uh, I, I, I don't know that I was totally surprised because that was part of why i chose it is that sure of course it looked like it could really work but there was a part of me that thought this could fall apart pretty quickly just in when it, it first sort of introduces what it's about um but 
yeah, I just thought it, it really worked all the way through. Um, one of the things you sort of mentioned that I wanted to highlight is it's a pretty sparse film. Um, uh, there's a lot of um, pacing that does not go very quickly uh, where there aren't as many events, where there are people sort of in a room looking at each other, trying to figure out what to say. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, sort of, I, I wouldn't say I'm playing devil's advocate here, but, uh, you know, just to voice that concern, Doug, did you feel like the film was narratively lacking because there wasn't that much going on on screen sometimes? I mean, I feel like a lot of the awkwardness that comes from people looking at each other and not saying a lot is sort of the purpose of the movie, and it's very, very intentional, right? There's a moment very early on where Mr. Moe, his brother's wife, uh, comes and brings him food, and he doesn't like the food because it's too salty. And he just like basically says, "I'm not taking it," and just slams the door in her face. And it just the mo- the movie is willing to kind of leave those moments for a while and sit in that awkwardness. But because of that, it's able to find humor in things that are very kind of non traditionally humorous. There's there's kind of a repeated joke. There's something when when Mr. Mo gets the 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 news that he is not well, he it kind of fucks him up a little bit, but it fucks him up in a kind of, because we've already seen his routine on a day-to-day basis, just acting a little stranger and acting a little different is enough for people to notice. It's like, what's going on with Mr. Mo? And he makes this connection with a woman at the uh, swimming pool that he, he swims laps in. And he just does this funny little thing where he ducks his head underwater, fills his mouth up and just like taps the top of his head and squirts it out. Like he's some sort of like a, a like a hose or a squirting kind of implement. And she finds it very funny. And it wouldn't be funny, you know, in another movie, but in a movie that's this dry a lot of the times, it really is kind of cute and funny. And you can see why she kind of connects to it immediately. It's a, it's a movie that has a very, very specific tone that it's going for, and it's extremely consistent all the way through. And I will say that it's a movie that really justifies it being in a black and white context. I feel Agreed. like... Not only the, does the fact that the movie that they're going to show at the end, it's kind of important that's, it is, that it's in black and white, but it just the sparseness that's on display and the tone that they're going for, it's almost like a shortcut to telling people, look, this, you're not, you can't expect a Hollywood-type movie here. You need to expect that it's going to be something different, and I think the black and white kind of helps settle you into that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You know, shooting in black and white in 2016 or, or later is, is a decision. You know, you're yeah. doing something. I think part of what it does, too, is it makes the compositions that much more interesting. Like, I don't know that the movie would be visually boring in, in color, but in black and white, sometimes a room that might not seem too engaging, you're more inclined to notice the contrast of yeah, light and absolutely. dark. And, and, uh, and it allows them to kind of show the world that he's in. And it feels more real, you know, whereas I bet a, a color movie, sometimes it might be lit in a way where you feel like you're watching a movie in a certain sense. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about it that it just felt really beautiful to me. And, and, I, and I, I don't even know that I would say because the cinematography was so artful, <laughs> but there was something about the cinematography combined with the black and white that really impacted me. There were multiple scenes where I was struck by what I was looking at. And so... Um, you know, I think that's important for the film. Um, I think it really makes you appreciate the geography of, I don't mean just like the, the, the outdoor locations. I mean, actually how the locations we do see 
like the the tea restaurant that they go to and yeah. the restaurant that Mr. Mo goes to and the swimming pool and inside his barber shop that you really get a sense of the geography of those places because you really your eyes are really drawn to places that if there were colors all over the place that you would be drawn to an entirely different place and it feels like you really know those places a little bit more and also the fact that kind of classical Hollywood is something that's talked about, right? Because there's his, his son is a director and also he had an interest in acting and he talks about his favorite actors. So the fact that maybe there's a little extra cinematic element to it kind of plays into that as well. Now, one of the major themes of the film, Doug, is um, sort of the difficulties between fathers and sons, right? That that mm-hmm. that this is sort of what's going. And, and, and we consistently see these two very stubborn men be unable to communicate, connect, emote as a rational human should. Absolutely. You know? uh, and, you know, one of the things that's important to know about me that audiences may or may not know is that uh, I'm a bastard. So, you know, any any issues I have with my dad are, are much like issues with God, one of absence entirely. Sure. Uh, so in this way, I can't relate at all. But, uh, Doug, how's your relationship with your dad? Well, my dad's dead. Thanks for bringing it up. Oh, no. <laughs> my dad died of cancer uh, about uh, a decade ago at this point. Oh, uh, well, does that make a movie like this even more difficult? Yes, it does. Oh, it man. absolutely does. Because not only did my father die of cancer, he also was not a person who was very emotional at all, never talked about his feelings, was a police officer in Newfoundland, which uh, a lot of people tend to be surprised by considering my own feelings towards law enforcement. Uh, but also... He died of cancer, and, and you know, and slowly died of cancer. It was unpleasant, right? Um, I mean, yeah. not that any cancer is pleasant, but you know what I'm talking about. So it was very much a case where there was a realization, particularly because, and and oh, the other thing is, I uh, you know, I went to visit Newfoundland because he that's where he was, and it was in the final weeks of his life, and trying to. Trying to make that emotional connection with someone who he is closed off. And at that point, especially, I was very closed off as well. And we're trying to have these moments sitting together, knowing that you're not going to see that person again. Or there's very limited amounts of time. It becomes what it leaves you with is a feeling of lack of satisfaction, right? right? Because you want it to be like a movie, not a movie like this, but like a Hollywood movie where the closure is so complete that when you think back at it, you're like, oh, I had those moments that you're supposed to have. I remember, and I feel really bad about this, that because Jill, my wife, was with me at the time. It's the only time she's actually visited Newfoundland. I was sitting in uh, the room I was staying in at my parents' house, and someone came to me and said, look, your father, he might have days left. So if if you have anything that you need to say to him, this is the time that you have to say it. And that, I was terrified, right? Because what are right. you supposed yeah. to say? You can't sum up everything. Say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you only have, like, you thought you thought you had decades left and now you have days left, right? There's just no, I, I remember what we had on the TV. We had, it was an episode of um, that show that Howie Mandel has, the, the reality show where they're watching people do stupid stunts and things. Yeah, on, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was watching that and we were just sitting and I sat and watched with him for a little bit. And we talked for a few moments, and I'm glad we had that time together because at least it's something. But, I mean, if you want to have a, an example of how closed off, maybe it's I don't I, I think it's not just me, right? There's like a, that maybe how societal pressures have made us closed off. 
It's like, how about if you thought you were dying and you still couldn't say, like, I'm scared or I'm sad or I'm frightened and all that sort of thing. It's just it, it, it makes you feel like things are unresolved in a really uh, negative way, even though that I don't feel like that, that necessarily I missed out on that relationship. It was just a really kind of hard moment. And I feel like there's something echoed in this that comes from a real place of reality uh-huh. where he's like, like this character of Mr. Mo, it's not like he's a necessarily a bad person. We don't really know that much about him, but we know that he can't connect with his son. Uh, by the way, at that time period, I was making films, so there's also a little echo there in what was going on. So it, it really, yeah, it definitely added an extra layer. And I, and I had a complex relationship with my father as well. So it, it, uh, I, I think probably that made me like this a little more, but also feel a little bit more emotionally connected to yeah, what I was going to say it that probably did it complicated at all or did you feel like the film sort of got at the like it was authentic in the emotions that it got at I mean the fact is who doesn't have a complicated relationship with a parent right I mean if you have nothing but love and respect right and you I mean I, <laughs> well I think that the thing that's hard for people like me Doug is that we come from complicated relationships that are made complicated by saying too much all the time Right, right. That's right, just the right. hard thing for me with films like this is that there's something very familiar and masculine about it that I never grew up with. I was always the person saying too much. I've never been the person accused of not saying the right thing. I mean, definitely not saying the right thing, but not like like it feels to me watching this movie like it's not just that they don't want to say something. That even in the moments they want to say something, they yes. wouldn't even know what to do. And like I have felt that in the sense of what I have to say is so shameful that I don't know where to start. You know, like sure. confessing something that I can vibe with. Uh, after that, it's just hard for me because it's not how my brain works. And that's not to say like because I'm right and they're wrong. Like uh, there are plenty of problems associated with having vo- verbal diarrhea as well but in this case i you know i was was really hoping that you would be able to identify with this a little bit more because for me it didn't draw away from the movie at all the movie's still powerful and really interesting but i could not connect with either one of these characters like i felt like my stand-in was his girlfriend i was like oh i'm the girlfriend you know <laughs> like that's the only character that makes it the girlfriend and the uh the shameful catholic actual mother were the only characters <laughs> i identified with it's a uh... It's weird to, yes, I can relate to to what's going on to uh, a great extent, but I also think about how some people feel like a relationship between a parent and child should be. Meaning that, yeah. So I can tell my father that I love him, and I can tell my mother that I love her, and you know maybe I can be emotionally honest to a point. But parents sometimes feel like they can't be as honest back because they're trying to protect their children. And they they want, you know, do I really want to know what my father is feeling and thinking in his last days before he dies? Maybe then I didn't. Ten years ago, maybe I wasn't prepared for that. Maybe it would have been too much. Maybe it would have haunted me and scared me. And and But now I regret not having that. So it, I, I feel a lot of sympathy for him because I do think his motivations for being closed up came from a real place and probably because he got fucked up by his parents because that's how things happen where I'm from as well so I was wondering maybe if you if it's not that you could relate to it because of the relationship between father and son with you being the son but with you being the father because of your relationship with your own daughter even though 
I'm not suggesting that you have a distant relationship with your daughter. And also, but you know, the suggestion is whatever difficulties they have connecting in this movie is something that has been the case for their entire lives. Well, and well, and I don't even know that it's for their entire lives. It feels to me like probably it's since when the mother died. The mother died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, certainly not yet. I mean, I think anyone who's a parent of a four-year-old. Yeah, right. There's <laughs> hopefully you don't have any deep-seated resentments yet, uh, just in the first four years. But but I do think there's a fear there. Like watching this, the the relationship between them are, is so broken. And and when we say that, I hope people who haven't seen this yet. Don't think that this is a melodramatic movie, right? Because it's not. It it, it manages to communicate w- the deeply broken nature of their relationship in so many subtle and honestly beautiful ways mm-hmm. that are no less awkward for that beauty and 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 skill. There's a fucking a brilliant skill at work in the portrayal of this broken relationship. But that doesn't make it any easier to watch at times. Because yeah, they're not just broken together. They're broken apart, right? Right. Because like, the, the girlfriend, in this case, of the son, she's like one of the only kind of alive characters. She just wants more because what she's being given by her boyfriend is nothing at all, right? He just cannot connect with her because he's unwilling to talk in anything except, you know, he, he talks about trying to remember what actor smokes a certain way in movies. And and she just she just doesn't understand him. And to the point where when I was describing at the beginning about him, his girlfriend, I didn't even realize that she was his girlfriend for rest of, for most of the movie. I didn't know what she was if she was just a friend. It was just hard to tell what their relationship was because there's no affection between them whatsoever. I knew that it was his girlfriend only because her inclination to refer to his dad as dad. Yes. And then, and then the brilliant awkwardness he has at that. Which dad? <laughs> Yeah. Motherfucker, come on. Come on. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit about from a distance, right? This could seem like a very familiar story. You know, like um, whether we're talking about uh, uh, a man is, is facing his own mortality and he tries to fix his relationship with his family or in the other direction, a man is facing his own mortality and he tries to complete a creative dream or some sort of right. uh, mm-hmm. some sort of ambition he once had. Um, and I wanted to know, you know, thinking about this film specifically, nothing felt for me at least particularly cliche. But I bet if I describe this movie at a distance, maybe a little too quickly, it might sound like a cliche kind of film. Do you think the tropes that this movie is playing with are kind of worn out? And in that sense, is the movie kind of reinventing those ideas? Or is this sort of separate from what might be considered a, a pretty standard TV movie idea or or classic melodrama idea. The, the thing is, the kind of if you call if you think of this as a Christmas movie, which it is at its core, right? If you think of it in a in a kind of like if this was a made for if it was a Lifetime movie version of Merry Christmas, Mister Mo, then even if it was a guy who found out that he was terminally ill and wanted to make some sort of film to show to people at the end it would never go this dark and it would never go yeah. this weird. And at the end, instead of having a a movie theater with seven people in it just looking confused about what they're seeing, um, though uh, apparently having some sort of appreciation once they actually see the film itself, um, 
that they would have a full theater full of people clapping and and maybe at the end the guy finds out he doesn't have cancer and all that sort of thing, right? So I think it's a movie that subverts a lot of those tropes and cliches and is unwilling to take the easy mode out. It, it's awkward right up till the end. And you never get that moment between uh, Mr. Moe and his son where they finally have a real connection. It kind of feels like it's only through that movie that his son starts to understand what his father has been going through and feeling. Just to give a little bit away, the movie, which is played like a silent film, is about a character who swallows a, a, a piece of popcorn that's explosive and ha, you know knows that there's a bomb inside himself and has to decide whether to explode it or not, to blow himself up because there's something that's inside him that's dangerous, which obviously is meant to represent his own illness, right? And it's... it's I, it, I do think that at its... At the end, this is really about the way that art can communicate the things that we cannot communicate ourselves for a variety of different reasons. And I like the idea that in a movie, in a simpler movie, it would lead to a conversation, an emotive conversation where both characters are crying and it feels very false. But in this case, where you have characters who who have no other way to connect with one another, that they're able to find a way through art, and specifically through film, which this movie is, let's not forget, uh, I think is a really kind of a beautiful thing. I agree. Um, yeah, it's just, there's so, the, for a movie that is very sparse and really, like if you were to storyboard this movie out, there's not a lot of like specific events in the film. There is actually so much going on between... Uh, his family dynamics, his ambitions, his uh, his feeling of loss at his you know for for the death of his wife, the ways that the son interprets this clear act of goodwill as maybe intended to mock him, you know, right? Um, uh, and and even the ways that uh, the film um, points out like. There are certain uh, traditions and and things that are interesting to me. Like all of the actors they're talking about are these like classic Hollywood sort of actors. You yeah. Know? Even the film being based off of Charlie Chaplin, or the the tendency for folks to say "Merry Christmas" in English, is always an interesting thing to me. You know, like this is people might not realize this being a Korean film. This isn't like some uh, cultural misplacement, uh, you know. Korea, Korea, uh, South Korea, at least, is a very sort of Christian nation. So celebrating Christmas is not is not alien to them, right. you know. It's, <laughs> it's very much part of the culture. But it's interesting that the characters keep saying Christmas in English. I don't know how regular that is to do that, but that's part right. of the film, you know. And 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 then him doing this very specific Charlie Chaplin esque routine. There's just something about it that I think is really interesting. And and even the commentary on the world that they're in, they go back to Seoul because the the Mr. Mo basically idealizes this time in his life when he lived in Seoul. But he makes the point to say that all the places he used to live don't exist anymore. Yeah. yeah that yeah. Seoul has changed so much. It's a different place. And I think there's something interesting there too. So I don't know. For 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 a movie that is uh, like I said, maybe narratively sparse. I think thematically there's a ton going on without ever really resolving. The film isn't interested in resolving even some of its sort of plot points, you know? The, the son finds out he, he has a different mother that he didn't yeah. know. They never have a conversation about that. Nope. Like, that's that's it. It's just, you, you, that's it. He knows now. There is one great moment. Like, he gives her an invitation 
to the movie to go see it. And she asks if he was related to Mr. Moe at all, because obviously she would know if he was Mr. Moe's son, that it was actually her son. Right. And he, he doesn't confirm that at all. He doesn't confirm it until he does the introduction to the movie with her sitting there. And she suddenly, you know, it's confirmed to her that what she's looking at right now is her own son. I mean, yes. just a beautiful moment, completely understated doesn't the movie doesn't just fixate on it it's just a look at the end of the movie and i think well even the length with which they hold that final shot of the crowd before they yeah. cut to mr mo they're looking for this that it builds the expectation they're wondering the same thing you're wondering where is mr mo yeah, and, and yeah. the the director's unafraid to just let that hang in the air for a little bit because i was sure he was going to stand up and say my father is dead yeah, i was i was sure too. absolutely Oh, man, the tension of that was golden. Isn't it amazing also to think that you wait for that moment because there is some relief in that if characters are re responding. It's like, oh, no, not Mr. Mo. They don't know what's happening. Even if he does tell them afterwards that he's sick and he's in hospital or whatever, it doesn't give them any relief. It doesn't give them any closure to what's being seen. It's, it's a movie that doesn't want to just kind of pass out the easy responses to things. It's, it's much more <laughs> true to life than that. Yeah. Well, I think this is a very fitting Christmas movie to me because I do associate Christmas with uh, family trauma and being uncomfortable and uh, 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 awkward revelations and, uh, well, you know, watching a movie with a crowd of strangers. All these things feel very <laughs> Christmas to me. So I was just thinking as well, like I'm about to return uh, home to Newfoundland for the first time in a couple of years, but every time I go back since I moved away 20 years ago um, – it's less yeah. and less like the place that I left. Oh, right? sure, I mean, yeah. It's completely unfamiliar in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I grew up I grew up on a street that shares my last name uh, because there were so many people in my family that lived on that street, but now we're the only family with that last name that live on that street. So it's it's the things are very different there. But, I mean, that's kind of what this movie is about, too. Yeah, totally. Huh. Well, uh, I got to say... Um, big recommend for me. Like, like, go find this movie, y'all. It was I was really glad to watch it. I think it's a movie that deserves more attention, and I have to say, I'm very curious to check out the director's other film, uh, which is called Moonlit Winter. Also got a lot of attention and a lot of award nominations, so uh, maybe worth worth checking that out as well. So, speaking of uh, the backwards land from which you come, <laughs> we're gonna take a break and come back and talk about a movie. That is now. Is this really from there, or is this my anxiety, Doug? Was that these sure. were a bunch of folks who knew nothing about your people and who were mocking them for the amusement of the rest of the Canadian public? I mean, and a I, reasonable concern, I have to say. Yeah, and so is that fair? Is this really from your people? Thankfully, this is a pure expression of the uh, the sort of humor that is appreciated by the people from Newfoundland, also written and performed by Newfoundlanders. And, awesome. and filmed in Newfoundland. Awesome. So I guess we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about 2017's A Christmas Fury. Here, try this. So, Nevaeh, now that you've uh, calmed down, let's 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 talk. Hmm? I love your makeup, Nevaeh. I rattled up the sappers into Walmart too. Harder to get in the sappers. That's true. Honey, would you like something else to eat? I only eat hot dogs and cake. I want cake. Okay, but cake is not a meal, so... I want cake. She looks like that mother on Caps who has six children. 
And she drowned him out in her bathtub. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, yeah. I often wondered how that mother managed to do that. She drugged him first, obviously. She'd have to, I suppose, because, I mean, a child fighting for its life can show surprising strength. Buzz. The hatching, matching, and dispatching story continues in A Christmas Fury, an outrageously funny TV movie with unexpected heart. Eh, is that true? I guess we'll find out. It's A Christmas Fury from the year 2017, a made-for-TV movie directed by Warren P. Sonata. Uh, like many Canadian directors, he's done a lot of television work, including episodes of Trailer Park Boys, Murdoch Mysteries, and This Hour Has 22 Minutes, uh, which in some way this movie evolved from. He also directed the Trailer, Park's, uh, Trailer Park Boys movie Swearnet back in 2014, as well as the films Servitude and Textuality in 2011. Uh, written by Ed McDonald, a uh, Cape Breton-based writer, also uh, worked on the television series Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching, which this movie is actually a continuation of, though it is designed, because it, it, I think it didn't come out for 10 years after that series finished, it is designed that you're able to pick up on things without having necessarily watched it. I have never seen that TV series. He also worked on This Hour is 22 Minutes, and also written by Mary Walsh, uh, Canadian comedy royalty, the star of both that uh, television sitcom and this movie, was a member of the Codco comedy troupe, was one of the founding members of This Hour is 22 Minutes, which is a satirical news program that has been running in Canada for something like 25 years. Um, yeah, basically, in Canada, people know who this person is, and this person happens to be a Newfoundland comedy legend. Uh, and Sherry White, who is, I believe, uh, the wife of Joel Thomas Hines, who plays Liam in the, char in the in the movie. There's that kind of scummy boyfriend character. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's that's Joel Thomas Hines. He's in this. Um, and uh, and also she wrote on uh, Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching, and she was also wrote and was a producer of Orphan Black, just for people listening who wanted to actually know what the hell I'm talking about. Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching was a sitcom that was on CBC in 2006. There were only six episodes about it. It was about a family in Cat's Gut Cove in Newfoundland, Labrador, who own a combination ambulance, wedding, and funeral business, Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching. That's the joke. Um, and actually, it actually originated in a gag from Codco back in the early 90s. Starring, as I mentioned before, Mary Walsh, Kids in the Halls, uh, Mark McKinney is in this as well. Sherry White, Sean Majumder, who if you're in Canada, you probably know who Sean Majumder is, another well-known Newfoundland comedian and former uh, cast member of This Hour is 22 Minutes. As I mentioned, Joel Thomas Hines, Susan Kent, and Johnny Harris as well. Liam, this is your first experience, I'm guessing, with any sort of entertainment set in and uh, centered around Newfoundlanders, the Newfoundland uh, sense of humor, Newfoundland accents in particular, for those who don't know what that's all about. I'm actually gonna play a little clip from this movie right now so you can get a sense of what that sounds like. Why would anybody go into a home by choice? I mean, we had to knock Poppy out with a boot just getting into St. Edward's. Then we rolled him up in an old carpet. We went at him with a hot rocks and a waterboard and a but you know what? To be honest, he was pretty relieved to be in there, buddy. And if I don't tell you that, <laughs> so that's what that is all about. <laughs> and you can see how that might be a little confusing if you're not from Newfoundland. There's a lot of very specific language. There's very specific idioms. There's also, uh, you know, people speaking very quickly in very strong kind of filthy Irish accents. Liam, what did you think of a Christmas fury? When it first started, I thought, these are the laziest Irish accents I've ever heard. <laughs> and it took me a while to figure out, like, oh, no, this is Doug's people. These are Newfoundlanders. All right. OK, I got it. I got it. Um, you know, here's a deal. Uh, points off immediately, Doug, because this is a 
this is a classic trope, a TV movie to wrap up from a sitcom, right? And anyone who's watched one of those movies knows, yeah, there's some effort to get you into the characters. But for the most part, they assume you know who the fuck these people are. It is a weird example of this, though, right? Because not only – you're right. It is kind of strange. But it was a, a television show from a decade previous that ran for six episodes. It's crazy. Like, who was the market for this Christmas special? I don't yeah, right? know. It wasn't even a very popular show at the time. <laughs> I, uh, whatever. Somebody wanted this thing, and so yeah. it exists. Uh, but but it does kind of assume you know a little bit about these folks, and I don't know anything about them. Um, but I got to say, a lot of this is very funny. Like, uh, here's the thing, y'all. Uh, there's going to be parts that – don't work for people who don't have Doug's familiarity with the fucking way these people talk. Like the, the it's not just accents. It is very much turns of phrase and idioms. And I got the feeling that there was a certain amount of meta wordplay going on at times with what people were saying that was kind of slipping past me a little bit. Like I could yeah. sense it. Right. Uh, a couple things here and there I picked up, but there were definitely times where I'm like, wait, what are they saying? I, I just, it just felt like it wasn't for me. However, it doesn't rely on that alone, and there's enough other stuff going on that I think people would find it funny. Um, but it's not just funny, right? Like, there is a plot, and it does kind of end in a way that's meant to be heartwarming. <laughs> and by the time it got to the sort of like, yeah, these people are fucking freakazoids, many of which are <laughs> selfish and horrible, they have a heart of gold. It's like, I, don't, I had to wade through a lot of trash to get to this heart of gold here. Um, but but some of the, when I say wading through trash, it's really just, these are like mostly unlikable characters. The most uh, sympathetic character is this matriarch, this tough, hard-as-nails matriarch who spends the whole movie wishing she could get the fuck away from these people. She's literally, literally trying to abandon her family for the entire yeah. movie and move into an old folks' home so someone can take care of her instead. And I'm not trying to be like a like too conservative about this whole thing, but I mean, <laughs> this whole situation is her fucking fault. She raised these people, you know, like this is her family. And so uh, and yet she is sympathetic and, you know, she is kind of funny. Um, uh, I don't know. It I, helps I, that her, her it helps that her children are outrageously terrible. <laughs> I mean, let me just go ahead and say if I was if I was an attendee at the christmas film festival i'm not gonna say the german name <laughs> and this just came up i don't know if i would make it through because i would be like what the fuck am i watching i, I can't right even now? imagine because <laughs> one of the things about this is in canada you would have been exposed to enough of this newfoundland style humor particularly because of something like this hour is 22 minutes which is like a flagship show and has been for like i said almost 30 years on the cbc so and and even before that these are very recognizable people and so even if you didn't necessarily connect with the subject matter you know the accents would be familiar some of the subject matter would be familiar imagine having no context at all at least i've been sending you tiktoks Liam, about from people right. from newfoundland well, so and, you at and, least know oh totally totally to totally well and also this thing has commercial breaks like the pacing yeah. this is a made for tv movie in the most obvious way so I, I don't know i feel like i would find that alienating but knowing i had to watch this thing for a podcast like i was obligated to watch it <laughs> as if like eric roberts was in it or something um <laughs> It wasn't that unpleasant. It was kind of fun and funny. It just it just doesn't actually work. 
if a movie is something that like has a beginning and an end and wraps up in a satisfying way, it doesn't work like that. It's just it just isn't that thing. It is very much an extended episode of a TV show that no one wanted to see more than six episodes of anyway. Yeah, yeah I so think that's, that's really fair. It's really scattershot, right? Yeah. I mean, the pacing is all over the place. Yeah. They set up, so just for, obviously, I'm guessing no one listening to this has seen this, but so it's this terrible family. What happens is that one of the daughters, uh, the one of the, I should say, that one of the son's girlfriends uh, gets pregnant. And now all the other children are concerned that they're not going to be inheriting the business because the first child, you know, the person who has the first child is the one that's going to get it. So now everyone all else is interested in having a child instead. And one of the most particularly awful children, the, one of the women, she wants to adopt. They adopt a child. This child is foster. Like, they foster, foster a child because yeah, adopting would take too long. Yeah, that's right. Because they want a child as quickly as possible. They foster a child and this child is supposed to be like the worst kid in the world and then everyone really softens to her because she's as screwed up as the rest of the family. I do have to say, Liam, I think this kid actor who plays the adopted daughter is terrific in this. Talk about an impossible She's actually one of the funniest and um, again, you would know more than me. It felt to me like she was nailing that accent in a way that was like really good like i was like fuck she makes these other people seem like uptight city folk compared to what she's doing she is yeah she is nailing it and some of the people you can tell have spent a little bit too much time in ontario i love the part by the way (laughs) where the daughter says they asked her where her mother is and she's like i don't know she's uh either dead or in jail or in Toronto, right? Because that's how people are in New Like, If you're missing and gone missing, those are the three places you could possibly be. <laughs> I will again, say, one of the things sorry. you've talked to me a lot is how Irish the, the dialect is. And one of the ones that really got to me, which I, I uh, referenced in our chat today, was the uh, himself herself yeah. <laughs> uh that's that's very much an irish thing uh, in fact when, when the phrase tis himself is it, supposed to suggest that someone is full of themselves right. so the fact that on the show they just keep saying it as a pronoun for everybody fucking killed me man i was just like the the random irish stuff coming out of these people's mouths well they still sound like country folk too at times they sound like country people doug but also irish but also maybe just they have a speech impediment. Like, it's weird. It's one of the weirdest. Again, it's not just an accent, guys. There's a dialect going on here. It's brilliant the way that they're using it on the show. But at times, I was like, I feel like I'm fucking losing my mind. Yeah. I mean, again, if you haven't heard the Newfoundland accent outside of the little clips that you've heard so far, I mean, it, it is, it's an easy, easy description, right? I mean, you take Irish people, you put them on an island, because that's what Newfoundland is, and you leave them for 100 years and see what the fucking accent sounds like after that. And especially, again, there's so much, it's not just Irish. And that's one of the things I've had to explain even to my own wife, which is sure. it's, if you brought a Newfoundlander and, you, and bringing them to Ireland, yeah, they're going to recognize that they have a similar accent in some ways. But a lot of those idioms and the language that's used, it's used completely differently. There's still a, a lot very specific to that area. I do have to say, by the way, Liam, and this is not connected to what we're talking about with the language. One of the things I didn't like about this movie is that there's so much fucking music in it. It just feels like there's music all the way through. 
Uh, some of it's good music, right? I mean, it's some of it's recognizable. But what is the what is the connection between uh, uh, the island you come from and fucking Jody Mitchell? Well, Joni Mitchell's Canadian. That's the connection, and and so they need five Joni Mitchell songs. What the I, fuck? And it's so loud, and it, and it's both diegetic and whatever. You know what I mean? Like they'll be playing it on the soundtrack, and then they'll cut to a room, and it's playing on the radio, and then they leave the room, and the same sound is still on the soundtrack. Like, what is happening? What movie yeah. am I in? I think I, to me, I think that was solely from oh, we recognize that's Joni Mitchell. She's Canadian, so obviously, you know. We, we care about that as well. It's strange that it doesn't lean heavier on Newfoundland music, except for, and this is something I wanted to bring up to you, there is a part, Liam, where Sean Majumder's character, Cyril, he brings Mary Walsh's Mamie Lou Fury, he, he asks her to go skating, and they go out onto uh, like a, some water that's frozen, <laughs> a pond, to go skating, and then the two daughters come in, and they're dressed up very strangely, and some music plays there. Do you know what was happening there? No, I, it was one of the many moments where I was like, I don't understand what the fuck is going on. So I think in in Pennsylvania, you have like a mummer's parade, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what is a mummer's parade in Pennsylvania? I love that you're asking me, what is a mummer's parade in Pennsylvania? Because the mummer's parade that happens in uh-huh. Philadelphia is in fact in the United States of America, Doug, the only fucking mo- there is. If anyone says mummers, first of all, most of America they still don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, but this is it, why I'm getting at. It, if they please. do know it, it's the only one that happens, and it is a giant New Year's Day parade in Philadelphia, uh, where people dress up often racistly and uh, compete with uh, wigs and feathers and stuff for money. It's a huge event. It's uh, though quite racist, also the longest continuous cultural tradition in the entire United States of America. Well, in Canada, Liam, if you mention the word mummers and someone knows what you're talking about, they think of Newfoundland, where there really? is a lengthy Crazy. tradition where during the holiday season, during the Christmas season specifically, people dress up in like really ridiculous clothing, like men wearing bras. Like, it's not always cross-dressing, but that's part of it, certainly. But like putting on hoods and uh, wearing sheets and going out with big rubber boots, making yourself look as ridiculous as possible and going around to neighboring houses where you're brought in and given food and tea and, and liquor, of course, and you're supposed to dance around and do a big routine. And that song that plays during that sequence in this movie is called uh, the, the Mummer Song by Semini, a, a Newfoundland group. And everybody in Newfoundland knows that song. How does it go? It's it it it's uh it's it starts with a knocking on the door. It goes dunk dunk dunk. Any mummers loud in? And it goes da na 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 na. And that song is like the song for mummering in Newfoundland, and they use that in the movie. The reason I'm only telling you this because that is very a very good example of exactly what you were saying before. There's things being said and language being used and references being made here that are impenetrable. Outside, at least outside of Canada, if not outside the province of Newfoundland itself, it's kind of strange to think that this was a movie that was made not just for Newfoundlanders. It's made for everybody All in the Canada. province, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's enough of a recognition there that even if you don't get it, that you'll still kind of pick up on things. But I was just thinking when I was watching it, what could Liam think? The two daughters who are looking for their mother, they decided to dress up in like uh, pillowcases and bed sheets to go find her. There, I mean, 
a, a lot more of this movie translates than I think people might think from what we're saying. Right. But that was definitely a moment where I thought, what in the fuck could be going on right now? Like, I do not understand. But it was so quick that I just let it slide because obviously they also – it introduced you to the joke that this neighbor or friend wants to fuck their mom. And she continues to pretend to be unaware that that's what he wants. But everyone else knows that that's what this guy wants. And, and I love also that. I think that element was funny. This neighbor, played by Sean Majumder. Now, Sean Majumder is one of the most famous stand-up comedians in this country. Like He's a very well-known figure because he's been in, on television for so many years. And him playing kind of this minor role is sort of a nod to the fact that they've worked together. But, but I, the only performance I really want to get uh, your opinion on is that of Mark McKinney, an actor that you probably, of all, everyone that's on display here, that you are most familiar with. I mean, he is one of the members of the Kids in the Hall. He is a... Um, he went to Memorial University of Newfoundland, just like I did. My understanding is he never had really positive things to say about it. But in this uh, movie, he's playing a quote-unquote mainlander. He's playing someone from Ontario who has come to Newfoundland and is uh, a little bit out of sorts because of it. What were your thoughts of Mark McKinney's character in this? Um, He's weird. Yes, he's, he's very the- weird. He's not very uh, present in the film. You know, he's only in a few scenes. Uh, and he's married to the worst character in the movie. Yeah. So it's a little hard to know what to make of him, honestly. Um, he's on know. that show Superstore, right? Yeah, that's sort of what a lot of people know him from right now. I'm glad. Look, it, it seemed for a while that he didn't really have a spot. He'd just show up in like uh, in small appearances in movies and television for years and years. I'm so glad that he's found something where he can be the center of something consistent. I felt a little bad for him here, you know? It's just a kind of a minor part where he's playing a character that's just mocked constantly. I know it's just Well, and it character. doesn't feel like his kind of humor. Yeah. Like this, this is all very on the nose for the most part. Yes. And that just doesn't seem like his vibe. But I don't know. He did seem like maybe he was having fun. I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 I had to keep assuring myself it was him. Because part of me was like, that's just, a, that's just a guy that looks like him. It just looks like a round version of him. But it's not him. But you know what's funny? Him. Is that Mark McKinney has a younger brother who was a member of a comedy group called The Vacant Lot, which was a television series on CBC, a sketch comedy show that came in the wake of The Kids in the Hall. And he looks just like Mark McKinney. So there actually is a younger version of Mark McKinney that is out there that could have been in this. Yeah. So it's just part of of me wanting you to watch this is just the idea that there is a different world out there when it comes to – I don't just mean Newfoundland. I just mean like the idea that even though Canadian and American culture is very similar, as soon as you cross that border, there are certain references and there are certain uh, uh, centerpieces of pop culture that just don't travel at all. And I've always found that so strange. You know, my wife is from Buffalo, and we've always made the joke within our family is that in some ways she's more Canadian than I am because she grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada and going to Tim Hortons, right? She was right across the border and, and you know, spent a lot of her childhood traveling back and forth across that border. I grew up on an island, right, where people talked funny and talked with these ridiculous kind of expressions. Uh, so in some ways there's just like a – it. I always think of Newfoundland as being one of the most foreign parts of, of Canada to a great extent. I wanted to ask you about one central part of the humor in this movie that maybe didn't travel so well, and certainly doesn't seem like it would have aged well, even though this is only from a few years back. Mary Walsh's husband in this movie is an alcoholic, and he is full-blown 
Foster Brooks, stumbling, bumbling, drunk 24-7 alcoholic in this. And it is played for laughs almost uh, without question. Now, there is a redemption at the end of the movie. Probably the only redemption that really occurs in this movie is him having to clean up after having some bad uh, uh, medical um, a, a bad medical incident, I should say. What did you think about the treatment of alcohol in this? I mean, it's so easy to make fun of because drunk people are ridiculous, right? And because um, it's easy to sort of write it all off like this is something that people are doing to themselves. But what we know about alcoholism is that that's not the case, right? Right. Like, this is a sickness that someone has. And... I don't know that I would go so far as to say that there's no way to make fun of it. There probably is a way to make, get humor from that situation. But there also has to be an acknowledgement of how tragic it is. And uh, I don't know. But to be fair, I'm about to say that this f movie doesn't get that get to that. But it's also worth noting that um, it's not clear that any of the humor in this movie is particularly sensitive to tragedy. Like a True. lot of sources of humor here is actual pain. And some of the, um, some of the people who are being funny are also very cruel in a way that is hard to watch if it were real, you know, like it's funny that the one daughter is like, well, let's just get rid of this foster child. Yeah. Right. And I'll right, call. Right. So I guess that's funny, but of course it wouldn't be funny in real life. And so like, you have to, to some extent, acknowledge, like, well, that's the whole point of the movie, is that this is very heightened and ridiculous and blah, 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 blah. But on the other hand, it's such a consistent source of humor that it did start to, like, I don't know that it wore me out, but I started to think, man, we're really doing this again, huh? Like, it's kind of one note, certainly, right? Because yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just that joke. He's just drunk all the time, saying silly things. You kind of wanted him off the screen every once in a while because it's like, yeah, no, I get it. He's drunk. That's what it's funny. I get it. Yeah. I, I, I It didn't ruin it for me, um, and it wasn't like I was like – like I don't want to suggest like – and I was offended. Yeah, it's right, right. It's not that vibe. But it definitely was not as funny as the movie seemed to think it was. I guess yeah. that's the issue. Is yeah, that I think that's fair. Those Some of those jokes landed, but some of them didn't. And that's what was a little difficult. What I did like about this movie is that they say fucking shit in it, which I was not expecting going into it for a movie that I thought was meant to be kind of family entertainment. Uh, it's it's coarse at times. There's jokes about sex. There's jokes about, well, really all sorts of things. Um, even... They even make a little comment about the idea of like that they encounter a doctor who uh, is obviously from uh, from a Middle Eastern country, and they make some jokes about people talking about stealing Christmas and not being able to say Merry Christmas and all that sort of stuff. But thankfully, they stay away from topical humor for the most part in it. Liam, I want to ask you when we finish up, as we finish up here, I should say, would you recommend this to anybody? Is this something that you could see telling someone else to watch? Friends of yours, people I know, people I know who know you, because I don't, I don't, unless they've had time to talk to you about it extensively, people probably don't know that when you say, oh, I'm from Newfoundland, that that means something. You know what yes. I mean? Like, if I, it, in the same way that, like, I, I would see across the internet people watching Mayor of Easttown and thinking, well, this is just ludicrous. Yeah. And me having to say, that's an understatement of what Delco is like. 
that is not even I mean, the only thing overstated in Mayor of Easttown about Delco is that people mention Wawa too much because they really want to make sure they know where they are. No one says Wawa that often. They don't say, oh, I'll get you a Wawa coffee. They'll just say, I'll get you coffee, and you know it's from Wawa. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean? In the same sense, like when you say you're from, from uh, uh, where you're from, someone watching this will suddenly realize you're saying something. Whereas yes. like, you know, saying you're, if you had been born and bred in Toronto, that might be interesting for a few different reasons, but it doesn't have the same difference that where you're from does. And I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting thing. It, now, wild. would I it's recommend wild. it to just a random <laughs> comedy fan? Probably not. <laughs> no, there's something to be said there because there is a long history of Newfoundland comedy. I just want, listeners to know that if the only thing you know about newfoundland is the documentary dear zachary i'd appreciate you if you watch this to get a sense that there's more to the province than that the other thing is of course that i i don't have as strong of an accent as i did when i moved to ontario and i want to prepare you almost have none i want to prepare listeners that when i return from this visit it might be a little jarring because it'll be hard to drop the accent because when i when i I used to have a very very strong accent just like the people in this lovely show and uh lovely movie a christmas fury for those who do want to check it out for some reason the first hour of it has been posted on youtube but the rest of it hasn't but if you are within canada or have a vpn you can uh, go on the cbc gems site or uh, use the cbc gem app and you can watch it for free with ads and hey uh, the only reason not to watch it on that instead is that for some reason they have bleeped out the word fuck on the streaming version. I found that very distracting, but aside from that, it uh, it'll give you a sense of what I'm all about, Liam. And um, I mean, it's funny. I, it is definitely funny. It's just not great. You know what yeah, I mean? And, I think and that's so, fair. Yeah. And then check out a lot more Newfoundland comedy. Check out all the episodes of Codco on YouTube. Go check out The Adventures of Faust's Big Good, uh, a Newfoundland comedy from the mid-1980s. Go and check out Wonderful Grand Band. Go and check out Ray Guy. Go and check out our long Newfoundland tradition of entertainment, Liam. I know you're curious about it now. I mean, I am a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know. Find out about mummering. Start doing it in your own hometown. <laughs> again, again, I don't need y'all to tell me about mummering. Apparently... I, Apparently, you fucking do, because you uh, don't know what mummering is. There's nothing racist about dressing up in sheets and going down to your neighbors <laughs> and getting drunk. <laughs> yes, there is, though. I love that I just let it slide to you. You definitely said hoods and sheets, and instead of making the reference I should have, I went, it's fine. I'm not there is anything. a famous story. My wife loves this story because of how stupid it makes Newfoundlanders look. About a sailor, I think it was during World War two or maybe one and he um th- his ship went down and he got picked up in an outport in newfoundland and they tried and he was black i should mention that very important part of the story and they tried to scrub the black off of him because they had never seen a black person before so they thought that it was oil oh god and oh. bill cosby went on fucking i think jay leno and told that story very famous story in newfoundland and my wife was like what like, th- this isn't like 1733 this is like 1940 this is happening in my backwards inbred country uh backwards inbred province i should say but that's just gives you a sense of who i am and where i'm from Liam. Hey, that's that's you know what you're learning a lot about me here today you know what you don't need to focus on stories like that focus on the comedy you know focus on your local heroes like mary walsh and uh marina <laughs> from alpha flight and you know just think about that you know Comedy, comedy, gold, and mutants. That's what you got. 
It's it's what we have. It's what we'll continue to have. Liam, this is our final episode of Cinema Smorgasbord of the year 2021. We've launched some new podcasts this year. I think Jodowski might have actually started this year. Uh, as yep. certainly our George Kennedy uh, podcast, A Wild in the Streets, our podcast about uh, Italian crime films, Euro crime, I should say. A lot of new projects this year. I think we've put out a lot of great product, if you can call it that. I hate using that word product. I should say we've released a lot of great audio this year. I think people should go and check out the archives. Where can people check out this podcast and others? Well, folks can head over to Cinepunks.com and uh, not just find this show, but a lot of great shows like Twitch of the Death Nerve, uh, Tomb of Ideas, Fat Girl Hacks, uh, Horror Business, just a lot of stuff going on there. And we're always looking for more. So if you have a good idea, hit us up, Cinepunks at gmail.com. They can also follow Cinepunks on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. They can also head to our website, cinemasmorgasbord.com, uh, and really dig into our archive of, of uh, each show is sort of broken into its own section. So you want to hear Carol Kane, you can focus on that. You want to hear Vic Diaz, you can focus on that. Um, they can follow us on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G, uh, as well, and get updates about when we you know uh, post new content and stuff like that. You can also follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And I don't normally do this, but I want to mention that I was recently on the podcast, the podcast under the stairs. You can check out tputscast.com. If you want to hear me and uh, two other uh, educated gentlemen talk about the career of William Friedkin for seven hours straight, there is a seven-hour podcast now available over there covering every film and TV project of the great director, William Friedkin. It, uh, I did not expect it to go that long. <laughs> it is a roundtable of the entire career of that director. Check that out over at the podcast Under the Stairs. You, of course, have some other podcasts as well. Why don't you tell us about those? Oh, well, as I mentioned, uh, people can check out Horror Business. Um, that's uh, a conversation between me and Justin Lore focused on horror movies specifically. And, of course, uh, new episodes of Cinepunks. We, we, by the time this comes out, we should have a new episode up with a uh, friend of the show, Adriana Gober. Uh, we're going to be we're talking about uh, two really uplifting, positive films for the holidays, uh, Breaking the Waves. <laughs> and the seventh continent so you know oh my god a little little hanukkah and uh von trier for you to really like pick up the spirits uh if you are uh enjoying yourself listening to this somehow why don't you recommend it to a friend or leave us a review on your your podcast provider of choice but for now liam we need to take a little rest uh we put out episodes every single monday of cinema smorgasbord we need to take a little break until the new year i hope everyone has a very happy and safe holiday season and we will see you once again in 2022. Bye. <laughs> it's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. Oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away on. But it don't snow here, it stays pretty green. 
I'm gonna make a lot of money, then I'm gonna quit this crazy scene. I wish I had a river I could skate away on. I wish I had a river so long I would teach my feet to run.